All right. So you're going to go to Romans chapter 14. When you, when you find that, I want you to stand for a moment. Give you a chance to stretch your legs. It is kind of our tradition to honor God's Word. I'm going to try to run the overhead at the same time. I might really blow this, but you'll have patience with me. Amen. Romans chapter 14. We're going to go to 22. I must have... Oh my... Amen. Romans chapter 14, verse 22. I want, I want to talk to you about something. Uh, can I be honest? Something that I'm struggling with. Um, I, I, just, I just felt like today I was going to open up my devotion and just preach to you from what God's been talking to me about. And I'll even be more honest because you can help me in prayer. Uh, when I came here 13 years ago, we'll be completing our 13th year. April 1st, April Fool's Day. I don't know why I took the church over on that day, but I did. Um, there were 13 people in the crowd, and uh, my wife and I brought five with us, so that made 18, four with us. That's right. You, well, you were carried. You just didn't know that. That week you found out. And, and so we were we were on the verge of you know breaking over 20 and getting real close to 20 in the first service. I never knew that I'd have to be in this situation um, 13 years later. Um, in about two weeks, I have to have a very heart-to-heart -heart conversation with my boss about resigning my position and becoming full-time at the church. And you want to talk about struggle and faith and parameters and being stretched and trust and all this. But I had told uh, the church board that if they were faithful and setting the salary aside every month, into the savings account without anybody touching it and that we were able to pay our bills that I would make that decision and um, in my contract with my employer in June. Well, you have been faithful in your tithes and your offerings and the money has been going in faithfully and so now it's up to me to hold my end of the deal. That being said, that still comes with its uneasiness. You know, it's like I can operate on this level of faith, God, but, but that level of faith, I'm struggling with it. So I'm just going to preach to myself. But I found something this morning that just tore me up. It says this in Romans chapter 14, verse 22. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. I just blew it. I just told you. Well, we're a family. It's okay. But watch this. Happy is he that condemneth not himself. I could just preach a whole message right on there. You, you want to find happiness, you got to stop beating up on yourself. Right. If you, want, if you truly want to be happy, you've got to stop condemning yourself. There is only one, the Bible says, that can separate the body from the soul and send it to hell. There's only one that can do it. It ain't you. So to find happiness, you've got to stop beating yourself up. But watch what he says. It goes on and says, In that thing which he allowed. And say what? Well, he allowed it. Okay, God, now you're really messing with me here. Let's go a little bit further. Verse 23, it says this, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whosoever or whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Okay. I mean, if I don't have faith, then I have sin. I don't operate in faith, and I'm operating in sin. Oh, help me, Jesus. Whatever is not of faith is sin. 
I, I, I want you to go to Revelation. Um, Sister Chris always says, I just want you to preach fire and brimstone. So you can blame her because I'm, I'm going to go right to where the fire and brimstone is located. It's, it's in Revelation 22 and you'll be seated. 21, you'll be seated in a minute. Uh, Revelation 21 verse number 8 we often preach that we know where all liars are going to go I know where murderers are going to go I know where whoremongers are going to go I know where adulterers are going to know sorcerers I know that they're going to burn in the fire the problem is in that same list in fact on top of that list not, not even at the bottom or at the, the middle when John the Revelator wrote this he said I'm going to put something right at the and those are going to go to hell. The fearful and the unbelieving are on top of the list of the murderers, whoremongers, liars, and those that worship idols. Now, I, I'm preaching myself. But that was preached to me this morning. When I looked at that, I said, you mean that if I don't operate in faith, if I don't have trust, if I cannot trust God, I'm in the same list as the liars, the whoremongers, the murderers, and they're all going to have their part in the lake of fire. Right. Said, God, help me. <laughs> Anybody have some doubt? But don't show your hand because you're going to hell. <laughs> Anybody have some fear? Don't show your hand. This list of people going to hell. At the top of it is me. I mean, at the top of it is some things that I struggle with. Fear and unbelieving. Help us, Jesus. I want to pray for you, Father. I thank you this morning or this afternoon. God, I thank you for Sheldon. God, I thank you for those that have showed up faithfully here and have planted your word. God, I help. I pray, God, that you would help us um, deliver Jesus. Just, just something a little to help us go further in our walk, in our journey. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're about to do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. We said amen. Now, I have a lot of scriptures. You can be seated. I have a lot of scriptures, but I, I almost felt like I just needed to leave this one up for a little bit. <laughs> for all you people that struggle, that have trust issues, all you that have control issues, all you that are afraid, Doug Inger, that's afraid of taking the next step, there's a hot place for you if you don't get through some of those issues. Isn't it interesting that we're all on that list? You know, I, I mean, I got rid of lying. I got rid of all those other things. I don't think I worship idols. I try to be all this. And then all of a sudden this morning when God was talking to me in my devotional, he said, oh yeah, but you're a little bit afraid. And I said, well, God, isn't, isn't that part of faith? He said, no, that's opposite of faith. And then all of a sudden we're saying, I, my wife doesn't know this because when I got done listening to this little devotional, this little preaching, she said, well, what did you think? I said, I think it was for you. And she said, well, I'll go listen to it. She went and got ready and went to listen to it. And then I'm back on the really was for me. She came out. She said, you know, some of that was for me. But right there in the middle of that little thing was exactly for you. I said, no, it was for you. But the fearful and the unbelieving shall have their part in the lake which burneth. Wow, help me, 
Jesus. I, I want to preach or talk to you just a little bit about, about something um, that is a law in the Scripture. I want to, I want to talk to you about faith principles. I, I want to really talk to you about something called sowing and reaping. Something that's called sowing. It's a law in your Bible. God established a law. In fact, we're going to look that He established it way back in Genesis chapter 8. When He established this law, it is something that is not ended yet. There is this law of sowing and reaping that is pertained to your faith. The natural law is found in Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, if you want to look at that. Otherwise, it'll be up here. While the earth remaineth, the Bible says, seed time and harvest and cold and heat. Oh, help us, Jesus. And summer and winter and all day and night shall not cease. You know, I, I'm a little bit opposite of some of you. I cannot stand the heat. But I know if I tolerate the heat, winter is going to come. Now some of you the opposite. You can't stand the winter. But, but i got good news for you. If we go through winter, summer will come. It is a principle that God has established. And I know that, that it's the heat that bothers me, but you are bothered by the cold. You can't have one without the other. There's a cycle. There is day and night. There is summer and winter. There is fall and spring. There's a time to plant the seed. And if there's a time to plant the seed, then there's a time that you'll harvest the seed. It's a law. Just as sure as I can say, should, should Jesus not return and take us home, I can tell you that summer's coming. Right. You, can, you can do all you say, oh, I don't know, it's just been so cold this past, it doesn't even feel like summer's within the reach. I can promise you it's coming. God's not a man that he's alive. If he put us through winter, we'll get to summer. In fact, winter has a purpose. The ground has got to go dormant. The ground has got to be set aside for a season so that we can plant again in the spring and then the spring will turn into summer and pretty soon we'll have a harvest. It is a principle in nature that models your spiritual journey, your faith journey. It's a law that is established by God Himself that says if you would plant it, I promise you there will be a harvest. He can't change his mind on that. He has established the law. If you plant the seed, you will have a harvest. Faith is always connected to seeds. It's interesting, you know the scripture, and I'll show it here in a minute, about how big your faith has to be. I don't know, I really don't understand why we think we have to be all of this before God will do anything for us. In fact, in fact, it's, 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 it's kind of interesting as a pastor that somehow, even though we preach grace, even though we establish that God loves you, even though we tell you that you can't do anything to make God not love you, even though we tell you all these things, that yet there are still people in the church thinking somehow if I get to that level or somehow if I just have faith that big of faith or somehow I could be like the preacher or somehow I could be like Brother Tipton or somehow if I could just be like him, then my faith will be equal and then, then I'll have this. No, you don't understand what God has established here. He said if you'd simply plant it, I promise you it'll come up as a harvest. Yes. Pretty simple. 
has nothing, it's no connections, no strings attached, nothing connected to it. God loves you just the way you are. Now I understand that we're all journeying and we're all changing and we're all growing and I understand that it may look that we're at different, uh, different levels, but when it comes to the law of sowing and reaping, we're all on the same ground. Right. If he planted, he promised it would come. Now watch this, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. I'll put it back up here, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Um, I don't know how to get rid of that little dot, 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 but trust me, there's more there. i got to make it smaller if I, if I think. And I, I've got it here, it says this, it says, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this overwhelming thing, unto this thing that you think is too big to pass over, to this thing that you think is unmovable, to this thing that you think will never change. If you could just have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to those large things, remove thou hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible, not to God, but to you. He said this, he said that big thing that stands in front of you. In fact, if I can be even more honest, I, I, there's a lot of preachers that preach this wrong. If you read this whole story, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, well, how come we couldn't do this uh, great thing? And everybody says, well, that's because you didn't pray and fast enough and all that type of stuff. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said unto them when they asked, why couldn't we do this? He said, oh, it's because of your unbelief. Right. That's the answer to the question. The next verse establishes how you restore your belief, prayer, and fasting. But the answer to the question is they couldn't have a miracle because they had unbelief. There's a lake for us. If we don't get rid of that unbelief. They're, 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 they're fire and brimstone. I'm trying to preach fire and brimstone. It ain't working out. I'm too nice of a guy. But there's a place for us if we can't get rid of that. We understand that prayer and fasting helps us establish belief in God or hear God's will more clearly. But it's not connected to the miracle. The miracle was because you can't believe this can't be done. Right. He said if you would just have enough belief or enough faith or enough trust in God, you would look to that unmovable thing and say, get out of here, and it would have to obey you. Yes. It's a law of sowing and reaping. If you plant the seed, it'll happen. If you'd simply muster up enough faith to establish a trust in God that said, God, I know you're able to, and I'm going to put my trust in you, whether you have to wait or be paused or still or whatever, God said it'll happen. Sowing a seed. Just a little seed. See, here's, here's what we really need to understand. It's not connected to us. It's connected to God. He established the principle. Plant the seed, the harvest will follow. It's that simple. He didn't say plant the seed and if you were good enough and possibly I just might. He didn't say plant the seed and if you were on level 10 in your faith journey, then somehow you'd have this mountain move. No, he just simply said plant the seed. And the mountain will move. Use the seed. And the mountain would move. Hey, I, I, I've talked to 
talked to Brother Ryan near several times about this, and, and, and I'll share a story with you here in just a little bit. I, I said, Brother Ryan, there, I said, now look, I'm nothing. I'm not. I'm not a giant. I'm not. I'm not anything special. I wasn't raised in church. I was 23 years old before I came to church. I don't know nothing about you Pentecostals. You freaked me out the first time I walked in among you. I thought you were all crazy. Same thing with Brother Nier. I said, Brother Nier, why do you think why do you think it works for us and it doesn't work for others? Maybe some of second generation or somebody that's been in church for 30 years. I said, why, why, do you, why don't you think it works for them? And he said this, and it was, it was the most revelatorial thing I ever heard. He said, because we're just stupid enough to try. What he was saying is we're just dumb enough to plant the seed and expect the harvest to follow. We'll, we'll just we'll do things that, we'll do things that others look at us and say, well, that, that was stupid. We know it's stupid, but we ain't got no other choice. We're trying to exercise. We're trying to put seed into the ground, expecting a harvest to to be the return. I I don't understand how someone can grow up in church. I'm not berating you. I'm not berating you. I'm not putting you down. I don't understand how you can be around Pentecostals longer than ten days and not experience a miracle and desire that same effect in your life. I don't know how you can be around us for very long and then all of a sudden uh, one day just say, "Well, it's not for me. It's for them, but it's not for me." I I don't know how you can sit on a church pew and see miracle after miracle after miracle. I don't know how you can receive the Holy Ghost, which is the greatest gift ever, and then somehow convince yourself you don't qualify for any other miracle. What are you talking about? You already got the greatest miracle. There's none greater than the Holy Ghost. Everything else is downhill from there. And you're going to call and call and tell, help me, Jesus. I'm going to get into the pastoral office. You're going to call me and then tell me it doesn't work? Well, I know it works for them, but it, it works for Jay Cruz. It just doesn't work for me. I've got a new saying. You pray that the pastor breaks it. I, I've been teaching uh, college students in a, in a college like this. I, that's why I know how to run the media cart and how to do all that. I've been doing the same thing. And I, I, I look at them sometimes. I say, would you put the crack pipe down? <laughs> I feel like that pastoring sometimes. Jose. Hey. Somebody, somebody gets a Holy Ghost. They have 20 miracles. And they come in and say, I just don't know if God will do this one. I'm like, what are you smoking? Put the crack pipe down. That's what I want to say. It's a law. You didn't establish the law. You can't change the law. You can't do anything to, to, to affect the law. Jesus said, take the seed, plant it on the ground, and you'll have a harvest. Right. Pretty simple. <laughs> but yet we struggle at it. I told my wife, uh, we were driving up here, I was talking to her a little bit about this. I think, I think ultimately what we struggle with is timing. We, we somehow convince ourselves that, that, that well, uh, because it didn't happen in the next 30 seconds, then it must not be happening. Or because we didn't have it by Monday, then it must not be working. Listen, I didn't invent time either. That was his principle. You might be in winter, but I promise you if you, if you endure the cold, all of a sudden it will turn into summer. And if you make it through the heat of summer like I have to, harvest will appear. I'm not in charge of the timing. I didn't create the law of timing. I'm not preaching about the law of timing because sometimes that frustrates me too. I understand that, but it's still part of the law. The law simply says plant the seed and it'll turn into a harvest. What you guys did last week was incredible. I don't see anybody here from that direct effort. It doesn't matter. The law says if you plant the seed, He will produce a harvest. It's that easy. It's the same thing with tithes and offerings. You plant the seed, God said, I promise a harvest. It is that simple. Yes. Well, I haven't, 
I haven't got to the same level. There's no levels. It's seed planting. And then it'll turn into a harvest. Listen, I don't want to go to hell. I read that this morning. It freaked me out, Jake. I wanted to go call my boss and quit on the spot. I'm like, I can't. Why am I struggling with this faith? Look, I'm just preaching to myself this. Why am I struggling with this faith? And I've seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. I've pastoring 13 years going on 14. Why in the world would God fail me now? Why would the law of planting and reaping change on me now? He said it never changed. As long as there's winter, there'll be summer. As long as there's day, there's going to be night. As long as you plant a seed, you will receive a harvest. Now listen, I, I, I'm going to explain some of the ignorance that I had early in my ministry or probably even now in my ministry. I had, I had, a, brother, I had a brother come to me. I, maybe I've said this about a dozen thousand times. I had a brother come to me one time and said, Brother Inger, I wish you'd just stop testifying. I said, why is that? He said, because every time you turn around, God gives you a miracle. God never does any miracles for me. Third generation Pentecostal. Preacher of the gospel nonetheless. He said, I wish you would stop testifying. He says, you want to adopt? You ask God. God gives you $10,000. Then throws in three weeks vacation and, and then throws in all these other things. He said, me, I, I, I can't get God to do anything for me. I had to stand on the platform, district platform this year, and, and I pray to God that it happens here in Sheldon too. And, and I was expecting, they said, well, we'd like to take up an offering here at Iowa. We'd like to help Storm Lake get that building, the building that all of you have been in. I said, yes, praise God. And, and Brother Fleming kept saying, Brother Inger, how, how much do you think you need? And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, if we could just get like a thousand, maybe two thousand, that, that would offset. I could put the down payment. I'm doing all these calculations. I'm an engineer by trade. I'm trying to figure out God, right? It's the stupidest thing you could ever do to sit there and try to calculate and put it in a formula and then see we'll carry the one and then drive by two all this type of stuff $1,322 maybe I, I said I finally looked up and I said I don't know Brother Fleming he said well let's just take up the offering $50,000 were pledged by the end of that pledge drive I'm sitting on the same platform. Now I want to testify to everybody. But I know I'm going to have to face that same preacher eyeball to eyeball that's tired of hearing about testimonies. But how come it always works? Brother Anchor gets on platform, $50,000, new building. Ah! Well, well, here's something I wish, wish I could teach somebody. I, I want you to go to... Um, I, I want you to back up. I'm going to go... Boy, I'm jumping all over my notes. I want you to go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse number 2. Matthew 13, verse number 2. I'll get back to the other notes here in a minute. Here's something I learned when I, when I started talking to Brother Ryan. They're like, what a, well, how come it works? I don't know how come it works. How come it doesn't work for everybody else? I don't know because we're just stupid enough to try it. Brother, Brother Nier always used that saying when we, we talk about this. He said, well, if God can use a donkey, he can use me. You don't think you qualify All right. You know, God can even use the devil. You understood that, right? Right. Why don't you think God can use you? All right. It says this. A great multitude were gathered together in verse 2 uh, unto him, so that they went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Here's what really irritates me to begin with. There's an awful lot of people just standing around. 
I mean, it's safe in the crowd, and we can be Pentecostals in the crowd, and we can stand around as long as you're singing, I'll sing. As long as you got your hands raised, I'll raise my hand. If you're running, I'll step out in the aisle. If you're jumping, I might kind of bounce a little bit. But, but I gotta be in the crowd. I gotta just stand in the group. I, I, I just got to be where everybody else is. Let, let me tell you, that's wrong. Right. I, I, I tell. I, <laughs> I was. I got a lot of people here from Spencer. And we're recording this. I was raised in a great church on a great path, but the first person I ever saw run the aisle was me. I didn't even know if it was custom or not. I didn't see any other buddy do it before. I just, I was in the pew, just kind of bouncing. I, I was a tigger. I just kind of bounced in the pew. I'm like, boy, I feel like running. I don't, I don't know if they do this in this church or not. They got drums and a bass, and before I knew it, I was out and around the aisle. And then I sat back in the pew, and I'm like, oh boy, I don't, I don't know if that's acceptable. I'm gonna get in trouble. First time I ever saw anybody speak in tongues, as in the gift of tongues, when it was me. First time I ever saw anybody have that gift of interpretation or translation of tongue was me. But I'm not, I'm not anything special. I'm just stupid enough to try. And, and I started thinking about why those receive miracles and why those don't receive miracles. What is the difference? I think the difference is at some point you just got to get out from the crowd. At some point you just can't stand on the shore. At some point you just got to get in the water. At some point you just got to go into the lake. some point you can't use as your excuse nobody else is doing it. Or nobody else raising their hand. Nobody else is clapping. Nobody else is singing. Nobody else. I think at some point you just got to step out and do it. Yes. I, I get my oh help me Jesus why am I recording these things I can't tell you my dad thinks it's crazy that I'm a preacher and he says this is excusable and there's no not one person in our family is a preacher we don't even go to church and you're going to be a preacher like yeah sometimes dad I just got to step out listen I didn't I've had a whole lot of firsts and since we've come in among you crazy Pentecostals. I never went with somebody to pray beside somebody's bed when they were sick and dying. The first time they'd ever experienced happened to me, they turned to me and said, you're the preacher, you pray. <laughs> okay. And I don't even remember what I prayed, but it was a horrible, I mean, I slaughtered it. It was like, oh, heavenly thou father um, who is up in, uh, well, you know, uh, God just killed. I got so nervous, I reached over and started grabbing my wife. I was pinching her too hard. She looked at me halfway through the prayer and said, why are you grabbing me? She said, because I'm freaking out in here. First time I ever did a funeral, uh, first time I really went to a funeral is when one I had to do. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to. Help me, Jesus. Here, here's what I'm trying to tell you. The difference between those that have faith and those that receive miracles are those that plant the seed, regardless if they're in a group or not in a group. My worship is not dependent upon how you feel. My desire to love God is not related to whether you raise your hand or clap your hands or sing the songs or don't sing the song, or if it's the right song or the wrong song. Right. <laughs> in fact, I'll even go. I'll even go further. My desire when I, when I, when I when I go to church and my, when I get preached to is not to be impressed by the preacher. Now listen, I'm usually on the other side preaching. I understand that. It's to get connected with God. I have sat in, I've had, oh, help me, Jesus. I, I get so mad. People walk out and say, well, I didn't get anything out of church today. And the, the word didn't move me. He wasn't preaching towards me. The sermon didn't move me at all. Listen, if he just gets up and says in the beginning, God, that's all you need. 
Right. His Bible says his word will not return void, but it will accomplish that for which it was sent. It is impossible if you truly are willing to step out of the crowd not to get something from God, regardless who the preacher is, regardless of who the song is, regardless if they inspire you or move you or not. It is impossible if you come get connected with God. I'm speaking all over the front row. I'm sorry. I'll step back here. I'm, I'm serious as a heart attack. Listen, if you if you truly have the relationship you say with God, then nothing is going to stop you from coming in contact with that God. I could tell you multiple stories of being out on a gravel road or walking uh, walking down some street or out mowing my lawn. In fact, my wife used to think I'm crazy. She'd look out at me when I had a pusher. Now I got a rider, so I just put the earbuds in and do one of these when I ride. But I used to push the lawn. She she look out. She say, "Who are you talking?" To. I'm just out having church. I'm like, oh God, you're so great, so awesome and mighty. I just love you so much. The best sermons I've ever preached, I've been in the bathroom to myself and been on the lawn when I'm on the lawn. I don't need the choir. I love the choir. I don't need the music. I love the music. I don't even need a fancy pulpit and a tickling sermon to get my ears jumping out. I just got to be one of these and said, you know what? I'm tired of standing in the crowd. If you do what everybody else does, you're going to get what everybody else does. A little goose pimple, a little, well, that was good, or brother, that was good service, or I'm just going to go. No, listen, it's time for you to step out off the, off the shores and get to near where the master is. But look at what he says as he looks around at these people. I think it's one of the most powerful, and you're all going to say, well, uh, that's not how I've had it preached to me. I know that's not how you had it preached, but watch what he does. He's looking at all these sitting on the shore, and he's like, now well, here we go again. Another church service. Verse, verse number three. Verse number three says this. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Here's what you need to get out of your head. You are not responsible for the outcome. You're responsible to sow the seed. We get it flipped in church. You start, yeah, you know where I'm going. If you've been in church any longer than 10 minutes, you know, well, sometimes on sowing sunny ground, sometimes. That's not your job. Your job is to sow the seed. If I'm not mistaken, the Bible clearly says one plants, one's waters, but God gives the increase. You're the sower. The seed is the word. That's all. This is your job. Come out from among them and be them be separate. Step out of the crowd and sow the seed. Some of you refuse to sow the seed because you're expecting that somehow you have control of the outcome. So it limits you. Well, I'm not going to do that because they may reject me. I'm not going to say that because they, they may not receive it. I may not pray for somebody because they, 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 they may not receive the prayer. That's not your job. Nobody ever promoted you to God. God's in charge of the results. You're in charge of planting the seed. Now watch. This, you're going to say, well, yeah, that's, Pastor, I, I know that, but some, some fold on stony ground. I understand. Now look at this. Uh, and this is what the Bible says. And he, and he, when he sowed, some fell uh, on the wayside, and fowls came and devoured them up. And then the next verse, verse five, and some fell upon stony places where there was not much to eat. And, for, and, and the fourth went; they sprung up because there was no deepness of the soil. And verse, verse number six, 
and and when the sun was up, they were scorned, and and some had no root and withered away, and and some fell among thorns. In verse number seven, and, and the thorns sprung up and choked them out. In verse number eight, said, but others fell on good ground and brought forth much fruit. And some were a hundredfold, and some were sixtyfold, and some were thirtyfold. The seed still has to be planted. If you want a harvest, your responsibility is to plant the seed. Not, not on the outcome. Your responsibility is plant the seed. Yes, some of that seed will fall in the wrong place. Yes, some of that seed won't produce what you're hoping to be. But God's in charge of that. Thank God He is because He knows more than I do. But the people that have miracles and have what, what you see and read in the Bible are the people that are willing to plant the seed and not so stressed out about the outcome. Yes, I've had hundreds receive the Holy Ghost, but I've had thousands not receive the Holy Ghost when I prayed for them. Yes, I've prayed for millions of dollars and only received thousands of dollars. But your responsibility is to plant the seed, to have the faith. I got a lot of people that stop praying, uh, my child will never come to God. Why are you giving up? Your responsibility is plant the seed. My, my, my spouse will never come to God. Why are you giving up? Plant the seed. That's your responsibility. You're not in charge of the outcome. Unless you switch places with God, and I must have missed that memo somewhere. God's in charge of the outcome. You're in charge of just throwing the seed. This is what Brother Nier and I have talked about this a thousand times. This is why it appears to work for us. Because we're just stupid enough to throw enough seed out there that all of a sudden some harvest gets ruined and comes up and it looks like we're walking in faith all the time. No, I'm just throwing seed. I'm throwing lots of seed. I'm praying for everything that moves. Jesus, fill them, heal them, heal this. I pray for that. Get done in a night. Pray for 100 people. One person received a miracle. We put it on Facebook. Somebody got a miracle. Praise God. That was a great service. What about the 99 that didn't get it? Not my responsibility. My responsibility is to pray. Is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders. Anoint them with oil. In the name of Jesus Christ, who they committed any sin shall be forgiven. And we pray one for another, you shall, you shall have your miracle. Listen, listen. It's not the outcome that's our job. It's sowing the seed. What you did last weekend is this principle. There is no way God is not going to bring people into this church because you went out and sowed the seed. There is no way. It is impossible. God would be a liar if you planted seed and the harvest didn't come. Now, I know the one you talked to might not have showed up tonight, today, but that isn't fine. You're not in charge of that. You're in charge of the seed. Yes. I have learned something early in my ministry. In fact, I'm just one of those people. Uh, somebody asked me a couple of years ago. I, I had the opportunity. In fact, um, I, I was teaching at the college. and They said, well, you need to get trained and rescue. And I'm like, great. Military. They said, well, you need to, uh, we're going to repel off the 300-foot tower. I'm like, great. We'll repel off that rope. That sounds awesome. Everybody's like, are you crazy? Yeah, I'm just crazy enough to try something. Just so that I don't sit at the edge of my bed at the end of my life and say, you know what? If I would have just done that. I've 
live by one philosophy, and I'll tell you the story here why I live by that philosophy. I was I was 18 years old. I was a senior in high school. My best friend was a freshman in college. He had come home for break. We were we were um, hanging out, and, and and one Friday night he went in. Maybe I maybe I was I don't remember. Um, um, it was a Friday night. He came in and he told his dad. He said, Dad, I want to borrow the car. I, I, we want to go out and, and, and cruise the loop. I don't know if they do that any, anymore. I met my wife here at Sheldon scooping the loop. She was in one car going the opposite direction out of the one, and she broke her neck. What was that? Her friend did. You didn't even see me. So it worked. I had guest jeans and cowboy boots on. She thought I looked good. And I think I died by cardigan on that night. My boys to men blue cardigan with the patches on it. Do you know when we got married, she threw those cowboy or she threw that cardigan out, them cowboy boots out, and for months I'm like, where's my that's a sixty dollar cardigan? cardigan. Like, where's that at? She said it was the ugliest thing I ever saw in my life. I got rid of it. Last year, somebody, two years ago, somebody showed up in our church wearing that same cardigan. Oh, no. Got it from Goodwill. It wasn't my cardigan, but it was, I'm like, that's the one I have. I look good. Yeah, my Stetson clone. Why was I telling that story? Oh, yeah, I know why. Cruising loop. So we're, we want to go cruise look. And his dad looked at him, my best friend, and said, you can't take my car tonight. It was foggy. He said, it's too dangerous to go out. You can't see. The visibility is bad. You're not taking my car. Listen, he had a car we named Mom. M-O-N. You want to tell the story? It was a blue four-door Capri. I mean, it was a, a 1983 or some 82 blue Capri and four doors. Like, wow. We nicknamed it the Mom. Because it was the make-out machine. The M-O-N. Oh. <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah. I told you I wasn't in church last so 23. So we wanted to take the Mom out. The Mom-mobile. We, we want to go out and meet some girls. And her dad said, no, it is way too foggy. You can't go out. And, and my friend looked at him and said, I hate you. I mean, just like a typical teenage, 18, 19-year-old. I hate you. You're hindering me. I'm screaming through a fit. And I can remember um, 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 his dad picking up his cowboy boot and throwing it at him across the room. And it hit the the table, or the, the cabinet there. And boosh, and hit that. And he, they're screaming at him. Pretty soon my, my, my best friend looks like, I hate you and I wish you were dead. You never let me have any fun. And out the door he went. He spent the night at my house. Little did we know that morning his dad was going to get in his pickup and drive all the way to Minnesota to cut wood. And, and when they got up there, they were out in the, among the trees and cutting wood and had a massive heart attack and died. That next morning, died. Left at 3 in the morning to get up to Minnesota, got up there at 8 a.m., had a heart attack and died. My friend spent the next several months looking at me saying, why was that my last words? I, I didn't mean that. I didn't, I, I didn't, that wasn't what I meant. Why did I say that? Why are we so stupid? Why did, why did I even get in that fight? Dad was right. It was, a, uh, it, was, it was too foggy. We shouldn't have been out. Why? For years, he kept asking me, why? 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 
And I bowed in my heart at that just in that one experience that weekend. Then then the funeral and going to the funeral and having to sit next to him at the funeral home and go through all that stuff. I vowed that I would never, ever let that be my last words. And more to the point, I would never not try something that I felt like I wanted to accomplish before I uh, left. I really don't have a bucket list because the minute I get an idea, I thought, let's try that. I try to do it. Because I'm not going to get to the end of life and look back and have all these regrets. I've tried to make amends with people instantly. My wife, when we first got married, she said, leave me alone. i got to cool down. I'm like, no, i got to make this right before we get too far. We first got married, she'd say, I'm going to run uptown. I'm going to get some milk. i say, well, I love you. I love you. Don't leave you. I don't love you. Should I only go on the block? Like, you don't know what's going to happen in that block. You might get in a car accident. Now she gets mad when I don't call her before I leave work. Now she gets mad if I don't go out the door in the morning and tell her I love her. Now she gets upset if I don't give her a hug and a kiss before we separate because she understands the principle. Don't get through life without accomplishing everything you wanted to accomplish. Don't get through life without making things right and taking a chance. Yes, you'll fail, but if you plant enough seed, you're going to have a harvest. Yes, some of it will fall on the wrong ground, but if you plant enough seed, you'll have a harvest and you'll have no regrets. Some of you men may understand this. I threw this in because I figured there would be some men in this room. Babe Ruth in 1923. Anybody know who Babe Ruth was? In 1923, he was the home run, had the home run record. Had 60 home runs in a season. 60 home runs. He was the king of baseball. He also had the highest batting average. And when history asked him later on why he was so successful in hitting home runs, he said this. He said, because I'm not afraid of striking out. What you don't know about Babe Ruth is he also had the largest strikeout record. He had 1,330 strikeouts and maintained that record for decades. The point being he had more strikeouts than he had home runs. He was 22 times more likely to strike out at the plate than he was ever to hit a home run. But it didn't stop him. He said, I'm going to keep swinging. I'm not afraid of the strikeouts. I love the home runs. So I'm going to keep on swinging. That's the difference between someone that makes it to the top and someone that never even gets off the bottom. That's the only difference. You're so stressed out and worried about failure and fear that you're not willing to try. The difference is those that are willing to plant the seed. The difference is those that are saying, you know what, I'll take a chance. I'll swing one more time. I know I struck out 20, 21 times, but maybe this is the time that I hit the home run. I know that it hasn't worked for me for 22 times, but I'm willing to hit. I'm, I'm willing to try it, and, and maybe this will be the time I hit the home run. That's the difference. Those that are willing to plant the small seeds. So that maybe some of it falls on good ground and returns a hundredfold. So maybe some of it falls on good ground and returns sixtyfold. Maybe some of it falls on good ground and returns thirtyfold. That's the difference. That's the difference. Second Colossians, and I'll end with this one. Second Colossians chapter nine. Or Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six. It didn't show. I'm trying to do. See, I'm not a woman. I can't multitask. Run the overhead, looking at my notes, looking at the Bible. 
it says this. But this I say, Paul said, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. But he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. That's the secret. I wish I could tell some of you, God doesn't count the number of times you fail. He rejoices in that one time that you succeed. It's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you get up. It's, it's not about all the things that are wrong with you. It's that one thing that is right with you. That's what God celebrates. That's what gets rewarded. That's what connects faith. That's the principle. That's the law of throwing seed in the ground. Not expecting what comes back. But understanding by law, it has to produce a harvest. It's not the 5,000 prayers that you prayed that didn't work. It's the one prayer you prayed that connected to the good ground that produced a miracle worth 100-fold, miracle worth 60-fold, or miracle worth 30-fold. Listen, when I came into church, you inspired me. Pentecostal inspired me. And I used to beat myself up about all the failures until one day God said, but at least you're trying. At least you're throwing the seed. At least you're doing something other than sitting in the crowd. At least you're not just standing there. Listen, I, I, Sister Olson can appreciate this. When I first came in and I was the first one to run, all of a sudden all you Pentecostals start talking to me. So, you know, if you're in the Spirit, you'll run with your eyes closed. <laughs> That's how we know you're in the spirit. I'm like, that's foolish. I might hit somebody. I mean, crazy things like that. Try to talk me out of running. I don't know. Listen, I probably have run, run in the flesh a thousand times during a church service, but I've run in the spirit at least a dozen times. I have probably prayed miracle working prayers probably a dozen times, but I have prayed, prayed 10,000 prayers that have not connected and not produced what I thought I needed. It's not the outcome that I'm in charge of. It's the responsibility of trying and planting the seed. That's how I know this church is going to grow here in Storm and Sheldon is because you went out and planted some seed and the law demands the harvest come. The law demands a harvest. But watch verse number 7 and I'll end with this. Every man according as he purposed in his heart so let him give. What was he just talking about? Seed? But you got to get it in your heart. I don't care what happens. I, I, I don't care how many people pick on me or call me crazy. I, I don't care how many people think I'm stupid or look goofy. I, I really don't care. I, I'm not, I was a 23-year-old alcoholic with a failed marriage, smoking cigarettes, hanging out in strip clubs. I am not the same person anymore. I really, my praise isn't dependent on what you've done for me. My praise is dependent on what he's done for me. My prayers are between me and him. I'm not, I'm not one of those people that let the crowd infect me. I am who I am because I've been through what I've been through because I've been willing to sow the seed. What is in your heart? Why don't you stand with me? Don't do it grudgingly or don't even do it out of a necessity. Don't do it because I preached it today. Don't you dare do it out of necessity for the love of God for God loveth 
a cheerful giver. I sow the seed. And I'm happy to sow the seed. Why does it work for some and not for others? Because we're willing to throw the seed on the ground. Why, why do you hear when Brother Ryan near comes and preaches? Why do you hear about all the miracles? Because he won't preach about all the failures. He won't preach about all the people that don't get their healing. He won't tell you about the ten services in a row where nothing happened. He'll, he'll tell you about the one service where something happened. But we find out that's the success. That's the secret. That's the secret. Are you willing to sow some seed? Don't give up on praying. Don't you dare give up on praying for your spouse or your children. Don't you dare give up believing that God has that miracle right around the corner for you. Be willing to pray. Be willing to pray. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to simply find a place to pray. Maybe it's right at the table. I don't know how you do it here. And I want you to make a commitment that the results are up to God. Take them out of your hand. If you could control it, you would have done that years ago. Take the harvest out of your hand and put it in God's and say, my responsibility is just to keep praying, to keep believing. How many times do I got to strike out? I don't know. Babe Ruth did 1,330 times in one season only to hit 60 home runs. But the difference is he kept swinging. He kept swinging. He kept swinging. Jesus, don't ever let us stop swinging. Jesus, don't ever let us stop planning for your law sins. As long as there's a winter, there's going to be a summer. Long as there's seed, your law said, there'd be a harvest. I'm not in charge of the results. I'm not in control of the results. Only you are. Jesus. I pray that people would keep throwing seeds. And stop worrying about all the ones that fell in the wrong places and didn't produce anything. God, I pray. I pray that this group would stop measuring their success by the number of failures they've had. But they'll start measuring their success by the number of victories you've given them. Though the victories may not be as many as the failures, God, I pray that they would keep swinging. Keep believing. You are the Lord of the harvest. Jesus, I've purposed in my heart this morning, this afternoon, to give you the seed so that mountain can move. Jesus, you're in control. Not me. You're in control. Not me. Jesus, I pray. God, I pray that something would get inside the leaders of this church. God, I pray that something would get inside of them like Babe Ruth. They just keep swinging. No matter what happens, no matter what the results is, just trusting you. You're the Lord of the harvest. Jesus, keep us swinging. 
Jesus, keep us sweet. Don't let us let her give up. Don't let us sit around and talk about all the times it didn't work. God, I pray. I pray, God, that we rejoice over the one time it did. Jesus, I thank you right now for people that are not willing to give up. People are not willing to quit. People are not willing to be influenced by the multitudes. Say, if I got to dance all by myself, I'll dance. If I got to be the only one in my family to go to church, I'll be the only one in my family to go to church. God, if I'm the only one, I'm the only one, I'll come out from the crowd. I'll be the only one, Jesus. Jesus, let us swing for the fence and not be afraid of the strike. God, let us throw the seed be so stressed out about the results. The difference are those that try, those that don't try. Jesus, I am blessed because I have thrown the seed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. sang that song how you want to go deeper the problem is you got to be willing to take those steps even when you can't touch the bottom anymore Jesus you're in charge of the harvest and you're supposed to set the seed
There's such a beautiful spirit here. Just reach out and receive it. God, we feel your presence. We recognize it, God. you just reach your hands to heaven let's just receive God let's just receive it Father thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you God you sent your word heal their diseases Jesus we thank you 